Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. Today, I am thrilled to share that I am speaking with an incredibly inspiring man who truly needs no introduction. He was recently named the new co-host of The Minimalist Podcast, and he is an author, blogger, and education director, the one and only TK Coleman. As many of you may know, TK was once an avid reoccurring guest on The Minimalist Podcast, and when I first heard that he was joining Josh and Ryan for good, I literally jumped up and down with excitement. And today, TK joins me to share his philosophies around the pursuit of a dream and how minimalism plays a role in helping us make sense of our own unique contributions and aspirations. Within all of TK's works, including his speeches, blogs, and pithy words on the Minimalist Podcast, it's his central mission to help others create the space in their lives to make sense of their own dreams and make the fundamental decisions to achieve them. In our discussion, you will be motivated by TK's personal stories, his great influence on others, and our shared love for inspiring people like you to eliminate the noise in your life so that you can do what truly lights you up. Our central message or shared goal is to inspire you to remove the barriers in your life, such as the excess physical things, time commitments, or mental roadblocks that may be keeping you from going after your dreams. And together, we share simple strategies and systems to help you create the space to be curious, develop your dreams, and build the momentum to achieve them. You will be reminded that you are the creative force in your life, and you will discover that the power to achieve lies in being curious, making smart decisions, and understanding that fear, resistance, and failure is part of the process. You will learn that the greatest success of the journey lies not in the things that we achieve, but the better versions of ourselves that we become. Be inspired by TK's great insights and perspectives on the power of creativity, optimism, and intentionality, and be motivated to pursue what makes you come alive. Hi, TK. (laughs) Kelly, what is up? How are you? It's so nice to finally meet you. Hey, it's nice to meet you too. I want to start off by saying congratulations on joining the Minimalist Podcast. That's huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, it is huge. I appreciate it. I was actually standing in my apartment when Josh and Ryan announced it. They said, oh, we're adding a third person to the podcast. And I thought to myself, please be TK. Please be TK. It has to be TK. <laughs> I literally hey. said that because I've been following your work for many years and I first found out about you through The Minimalist. So when they said that, I was like, yes, we need your wisdom. We need more of your value that you add to the podcast. So I'm really happy about it. Hey, I, I appreciate that vote. You know, it's it's kind of a, a scary thing. It's exciting, but it's scary too, because, you know, Ryan and Josh have built something very special. They, they've built a solid brand. They've They've built a, just a really great following of supporters, and they've been doing this for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. And to, to jump in, you know, you can make something better, but you can also ruin something good, you know? And uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoy talking with them. I love it. But, you know, it's, it's just different, you know? Um, it's a different vibe. It's a different feel. And how are people going to like it? And, and so far, a lot of people have been really gracious. A lot of people have been really loving it and, and they've had really great things to say. So it looks like we're doing all right so far, but we're having a lot of fun. I can tell you that. I'm glad to hear it. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. It's actually been a personal goal of mine to connect with you. So here we are. <laughs> hey, here we are. Go- goal achieved, goal unlocked. Well, we, we, we've connected on Instagram, but this is now our mm-hmm. first time actually getting on the line. This is our first live conversation period. So for those of you who are watching, 
Yes. We've never had an unrecorded like phone call. This is this is the first the real deal. Yes, exactly. And you know, yeah. in person's always better, right? Even if a virtual in person, so much better because yeah. you can actually feel someone's energy, right? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, so yeah, so to get started, we really share in a similar passion, and mm. I think I I noted that to you in email. I learned in my research on you that your greatest passion is to help others make sense of their own dreams. Mm. And that made me curious about how you got there. You know, I have my own story, but I know our listeners are super excited to hear about Mm. your story and the experiences that led you to discover your passion to help others. And you like to say to discover and become who they were born to be. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. You know, this is my theory. My theory is that we tend to love others in the way that we most want to be loved, you know, or, or perhaps in the way that we ourselves value being loved. And, and, and it's a learning process to figure out which way of loving works for the other person. But the starting point is, well, what works for me? What makes me feel good? And I, I think the way that I've always wanted to be loved uh, is to be loved in a way that liberated me to be myself in a world that was constantly trying to get me to do otherwise. And there are just so many legitimate sounding reasons for not taking your dream seriously. You come up with the vision. Oh, if there were anything to that, someone else would have already done it, you Mm -hmm. know, or if someone else has done it, well, there's no use for doing it a second time or a third time. Somebody's already done it. The world doesn't need another book or another album or another movie or another accountant or whatever it may be. Or, you know, well, how are you going to pay the bills? You know, usually dreams don't come with prepackaged answers to all of the difficult questions that life might cause you to ask. And so every which way you turn, there's some kind of argument that can be made against taking your own dream seriously. And since I relate to that struggle and I've had to do a lot of wrestling in my own life to just give myself the chance to go after something that made me feel fired up on the inside. I empathize with people who struggle with the same. And so, you know, different people have different struggles, but there's one type of struggle I can't ignore. And that is a human being that has a dream and feels unqualified to pursue it or unworthy to pursue it or afraid to pursue it. I just can't ignore that because I guess in a way, that's how I've always wanted to be loved. And so that's a way that I'm always available to love. Very well said. I think that we have this pressure on us to find our passion, Mm -hmm. to figure out what that is. And a lot of people get blocked by that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing that I learned about your story is you tried many things. I read that you were pursuing theater. Uh, You realized that you had a love for acting. Then you picked up a book. I think it was from your brother. You realized that, you know, I love philosophy. Wow. Philosophy is amazing. And then you pursue philosophy, but you couldn't see yourself teaching philosophy at that time. And so you still pursued your love for film and eventually you became an entrepreneur. You explored that. And and since I've learned that you you combined all those things, you combined theater, you combined philosophy and entrepreneurship together, and you realize, wow, like in this journey of myself, you know, I've I've realized I've uncovered what my passion is. Wow, if I could give that back to others, and I think you what you really you really learned is your love for storytelling. Am I right? Well, the storytelling thing is really funny because here's how here's how I I guess you could say I discovered my passion for that is. So I have this bad habit 
of talking up movies and TV shows and, and novels to my friends and saying, oh, you, you got to read this. It's so good. Or you got to watch this movie because it illustrates this and it illustrates that. And it's so awesome. And then when my friends watch the movie or read the book, they go, that was terrible. That was the most <laughs> boring movie I ever saw. That was a terrible story. And so one day, my friend Isaac Morehouse, I was getting ready to go do a talk. And he says, hey, can you do me a favor? I go, what? He says, can you do me a favor and please don't show any videos when you give your talk? He goes, because look, man, I'm just going to tell you. He says, I don't know what it is. He goes, but whenever you tell me a story about something, it sounds so fascinating. And then the moment I go watch or read the thing you told me about, I'm so upset that I've wasted my time. So I'm convinced that it's not the book or the movie. It's you, man. And it's the way you tell the story and it's the way it touches you. And it's the way you feel alive when you tell it. He was like, so my recommendation, don't show any videos when you give talks, just tell the story about something and I think it'll work. And I was like, all right. And so I did that one time and I had so much fun just telling the story that I said, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to get people to watch the movies that I want them to watch. I'm going to stop preaching, watch this TV show. I'm going to stop recommending books because I'm just terrible at that. Nobody likes what I like. I'm just <laughs> going to tell them the story and tell them the part of the book that moved me. And maybe they'll like that. Maybe the enthusiasm will transfer. So the story thing is, uh, is pretty funny in that way. But to, to get back to what you were saying about passion, you know, it is really interesting how, you know, we say follow your passion. And one of the, there are many problems with that. And there are many good things about it. But one of the problems is we speak of it in the singular, right? Follow your passion. I mean, just feel the difference of saying something like follow your passions. Oh, why? That's. That's a little bit more freeing, right? That's a little bit more unnerving, but follow your passion, you know? And, and so we condition ourselves to think that there's one thing that we're supposed to love more than anything else. And our job is to approach life like a mathematical equation and figure out what is the one thing that we love more than anything else. And if you don't know what it is, well, you got to live your whole life in doubt, being jealous of the people that do know what that is or have known what that is since they were the age of six and you get to feel bad about yourself. And maybe one day you'll be lucky enough to know what you love. And that's a major problem because first of all, love doesn't even work like that. Yeah. I was nope. just thinking about that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Love doesn't even work like that. I mean, Love is far more ambiguous than existing in this perpetual state of, I care about you more than anything I could possibly care about, right? And, and not only that, but love tends to lead to adventures and, and commitments and ways of interacting that are also sometimes frustrating and difficult. Sometimes that make you question yourself and say, well, do I really love this path that I'm on? Do I really love this project that I'm working on? Am I Am I really capable of allowing myself to be loved in this way or loving this person in that way? Love involves doubts. It involves questions. It involves difficulties. And we've sort of created a culture where people are not only racking their brains to know what's the one thing that I love, but even if they are lucky enough to find some one thing they love, they can never convince themselves that they actually love it because their concept of love is limited to feeling ecstatic about it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? And we're told cliches like, once you discover what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's like, actually, I know what you're trying to say. And I don't want to be one of those people who just, you know, attacks quotes and, and interprets them uncharitably because there's a valuable nugget of wisdom there. What it's trying to say is that once you discover something that really matters to you, 
the work will be worth doing so much so that even when you face challenges, you'll be willing to fight through the pain because you're doing something that matters to you. So there's something good there. However, what's often understood is once you discover what you love, it'll always be fun. It'll always feel easy. And that's the complete opposite of truth, right? Ask anyone who has children if they love that child and then ask them, is the child always easy to take care of? Is the child always convenient to look out for? Or is it more nuanced than that? Like sometimes it's kind of like, oh, I just want to go to sleep. Or, you know, oh, I just I just want some alone time. You know, can you can you cry 10 minutes later and just let me finish this thing? Sometimes that's what love is like, too, you know. And so, yeah, it, it's been very helpful for me to replace follow your passion with explore your curiosities. That way, I don't have to come to any definitive dogmatic conclusions about who I love in a way that's tied to my identity or what I love in a way that's tied to my identity. But I can simply say, hey, I'm interested in this right now. And I don't need to make any promises to the world that I'm going to marry this interest. I can say, hey, I find this subject fascinating. I find that project worth experimenting with. And I don't have to promise to the world. I don't have to make a religious commitment that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But I can use these interests as a process of discovery. I can get to know myself. I'm free to try things and say, you know, I don't like that. I don't want any more of that. I'm free to say, hey, I enjoy that. I think I'll take some more. And you do that long enough you'll wake up with a life. And as Steve Jobs says, the dots connect backwards. You know, you might be 40, you might be 50 and have a difficult time defining your life in terms of one thing that you love, but you can look back and you can say, you know, I, I filled my life with some pretty cool adventures and stories because whatever I was interested in at the time, I gave myself permission to explore it without feeling the need to make a dogmatic commitment to it. I'm going on and on, but does that make sense? Oh yeah. Well said. We all have a different timeline. I love to remind my peers, you know, the, there was the 20 mm. under 20, the 30 under 30, the 40 under 40. And it yeah. makes a lot of people feel, feel pretty depressed. They're like, oh, I haven't reached this success. But you think about if you reflect, Hey, what are all the things that you've tried? What are all the interests that you explored right. that, that you tried to turn into a passion? You've said that a passion isn't found, but rather developed. And I love that. Just like love, yeah. as we said at the start, uh, you don't just find love. You you find someone that has a similar foundation and then you develop it, right? You're always That's developing. Right. And as you said, there is always going to be some type of friction. There, Nothing's going to be perfect. Just like when you gave the example of children. I mean, I remember leaving high school, going into university and my parents saying, so what do you want to do? I'm like, well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I want to do, but I know I will explore this major. I, yeah, I did an sorry. undergrad in media information and technology. It was, it was very journalism focused. I said, okay, I love to write. I'm going to do this. And then I had experiences. I had the opportunity to work abroad. I got to connect with interesting people, everyone from entrepreneurs to athletes to celebrities. And in those experiences as a 22, 24 year old, what I loved was listening to their stories. And in mm -hmm. those stories, in those conversations, I learned so much. And what I learned the most was that the common theme between all of them, a the common thread, is that they all shared a story that had to do with some type of adversity that they had been through. And in those moments, I was mm -hmm. like, wow, I wish mm -hmm. I could share these stories mm -hmm. with other people my age. Yeah. I wish I could share these stories to remind them that it's not an easy trajectory. 
and that there will be hardships and that you do need to take risks. And sometimes your interests don't turn into passions. And so I, I started this community event series in Toronto called Impact X Toronto uh, that was inspired by Tom Bilyeu's Impact Theory podcast. Mm -hmm. And the whole goal is to have like an entrepreneur at each event, talk about their story, how they got to where they are, talk about their hardships and have yeah. all these people in the same room that are super, maybe they're pursuing a passion. Maybe yeah. they don't know what their passion is yet, but it was a room for people to feel like, wow, okay, there are other people out there like me. And this is not going to be the perfect road, but it's going to be worth it. And other people are out there doing it. And that motivates people to pursue their dreams. So, Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And how could you have possibly discovered all of those cool people and all of those cool things about yourself if you insisted on having complete control over the whole process? At some point, you just kind of had to bet on yourself and and take some risk and press forward, even though you didn't know how certain things would turn out, right? Like mm -hmm. you throw a meetup, is anyone going to show up? Yep. yep. Maybe the wrong people show up. Maybe a bunch of people show up that you don't even like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. I, like there were like, I think, I think five people showed up at our first event and we grew wow. that event from five people to 65, 70 people at each event. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, imagine if we approached dating in the way that we approach like passion with career and with lifestyle. Imagine if we said, here's how we're going to teach people how to find their significant other. We're going to have everybody when they're in school, take out a sheet of paper and write down all of the qualities in their ideal partner. Right. And, and, and you can write like, you know, the kind of look, the, the height that you want them to have, you know, the personality, the kind of jokes that they'll find funny. And, yeah. and what you'll have on that list is a description that doesn't match a real human being. You'll have a description that reflects some imaginary figure with a combination of qualities that you created, right? That, that won't exist perfectly in that way in some real human being. But then what happens is, so you go out in the world and you say, all right, I'm looking for somebody with this. And then you get frustrated because you don't find anyone who's a match to that. And you say, I must be failing. I'm the one person that's not finding my match. I mean, dating and marriage and family life would be so horrible if we approached it like that. But how does it actually happen? How, how, how is it that for thousands of years, people have found significant others successfully? Well, it goes something like this. They, they, they meet somebody that they like. Well, actually, I should, I should stick to today's time because arranged marriage is a thing, right? But, but, but let's say today you meet somebody that you like and you don't know if you can live the rest of your life with them or not. What a frightening thought. And if you demanded that you knew the answer to that, you'd be really intimidated and overwhelmed. But you say, this person seems kind of interesting. You know, we seem to have some things in common. There's something about them that's magnetic to me. And maybe you ask them for a cup of coffee or you ask them to go to a movie or something like that. And you just go for one opportunity to be together. Be together. And then you walk away from that opportunity and you say, that was really cool. I like to do that a second time. I hope they're up for a second time. Hey, are you up for a second time? All right. Yeah. Let's make this happen the second time. Then you come up with something else to do. Right. And then maybe that second or third time, there's some friction, there's some conversations, some deeper conversations you get to have that weren't quite appropriate for the first conversation. And you say, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this a fourth or fifth time. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's fine. But then from that experience, even though it didn't work out, you learn some really important things about your values you learn some really important things about what you don't want to do again, 
And, and then the next person you meet, you, you say, hey, I want to go out for coffee sometime. And, 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 and that goes well. Well, let's do that a second time. And that goes well. And then one day you kind of wake up and you go, you're talking to one of your friends and you say, hey, I, I think, I think I might be in love. I don't know. Now nah, I'm not in love. And then they break up with you and you go, oh, wait a minute. I am in love. You know, I mean, you, you know, but that's how it works, right? It's far more complex than that. It's far more multi-layered than just like writing down qualities on a piece of paper. But this is how we approach passion. We, we take personality tests, which is cool. You know, we, we, we come up with little formulas like I like numbers. Maybe I'd be good at accounting and things like that. And then we go out into the world looking for something that's going to be a perfect match to some theoretical construct when it's like, you know, maybe the thing that you're going to end up doing doesn't even exist in the world yet. And the problem isn't that, you know, what's on your sheet of paper is, is necessarily bad, but what's on your sheet of paper might not exist unless you go out there and create it. And more importantly, once you go out there and engage the world, you might find something more exciting than what you were able to come up with on that sheet of paper. You know, when I, when I got my first job after college, I, I was talking to an older guy and he said to me, if I were to have you write down your concept of the good life on a sheet of paper and then give it to me and I showed it to you in 20 years and let you look at it, you'd laugh at yourself. And that guy was absolutely right. He's absolutely right. You know, but yet yeah, you, you can't be afraid to explore life, to live the adventure, to embrace the uncertainty. And part of what frees you up to do that is the recognition that all of your experiences serve you. All of your experiences provide you with not only wisdom, but with practical skills that are transferable to the other things that you wish to do with your life. So if you end up working in physics and you decide later on that you want to be a rock star, there are things that you will have learned from your career in physics that will be applicable to the things that you want to do in music. And not only that, those are the things that will make you interesting. Those are the things that will make you different from other musicians because you'll be the weird rock star that also knows a lot about physics and also writes crazy songs about quasars and stuff like that. And that'll make you cool. And so, yeah, like when you, when you look at life like that, it makes it a lot more unnerving and a lot more exciting and makes you more willing to bet on yourself, frees you up in a big way. You're making me think that when you say follow your curiosities, you mean, you know, when you do so. Following your curiosities is a growth experience. It it makes you more interesting. You know, everybody has a different path and a different background, but my brother and sister, they've worked the same position the whole time. But it's interesting how that can be seen as more successful than someone who's tried so many different things. <laughs> and so my co-host and I, we've both tried many, many things. And we sometimes get hard on ourselves for that. But then we have to remind ourselves it actually makes us interesting. We've done this and this and this and this and this. We've tried all these things and look at where we are today. All my previous experiences, I can say personally for myself, have yeah. led to where I am today. And that's so right. all of those things were meaningful. And so that's why when I read your story, I was like, wow, yes, yes, it's super relatable. And I hope that those who are maybe stuck in a position that they don't enjoy or those who have been thinking about pursuing a passion that they haven't made the steps towards actually mm -hmm. building that kind of have a light bulb moment and think, okay, I still have time. You know, everybody has a different timeline. It's a, it's a great reminder. So something that, that conventional schooling that doesn't quite teach us, which is related to what you said about your pursuit of many different experiences is the role that storytelling, the, the role that self-authoring plays in quality of life. 
you can have two different people experience the same set of circumstances. And one of those people will tell you it was an amazing day. And the other person can tell you that it was a crappy day. And what's the difference? It's the narrative that they're telling about that set of circumstances and experiences. And, you know, when it comes to success, when it comes to finding meaning in our work, our ability to effectively narrate our own story is so important. So I'll give you an example. I, I once had a student who was applying for a job in finance. He wanted to work at a bank okay. and he, you know, when, when we were doing a mock interview, um, I, I said, it says here that you have no work experience. Is that, is that true? And he says, yeah, I go, okay, well, wait a minute. Cause I knew, I knew him. And I says, is it really true that you don't have any work experience or is it, you don't have any work experience that you feel comfortable talking about? He says that. And I go, all right, tell me about that. And he says, well, I was a soccer referee. And I go, well, why didn't you put that down? And he says, because it has nothing to do with getting a job at the bank. And I go, okay, so that's the problem. You're underselling yourself. You're walking in there and you're lying to your own hurt. You're not telling a glamorous lie. You're actually lying to your own hurt because you don't know how to frame your past experiences in a way that's relevant to the opportunity you're trying to seek. So let's back up a little bit. All right. When you worked as a soccer referee, did you ever have a moment where you made a call and the fans got angry at you because the call was against their team? He said, oh, yeah, that happens a lot. I says, and did you ever feel angry at the fans like you wanted to yell back at them? He goes, oh, yeah. And I go, did you ever do it? He says, no. I said, why not? And he goes, well, that just wouldn't be professional. I said, hmm. Do you think that quality of professionalism, the ability to maintain composure, when a customer is angry at you, treating you unfairly, and you want with all of your heart to be the little guy and yell back at them, but that ability to compose yourself and be respectful anyway, do you think that matters if you're working at a bank? He goes, yeah, I think so. I go, all right, let's continue. Have you ever been in a soccer game and you actually wanted one team to win more than the other, but you still call the game fairly? He goes, yeah, that happens sometimes. And I said, well, that's called objectivity, the ability to do the right thing, even though you're biased in the opposite direction, even though you're tempted to compromise. Do you think that kind of quality would be useful at the bank? And at this point, his eyes are starting to lighten up and he's starting to get his confidence back. And the thing that I told him at the end is I says, you're focusing on your status rather than your story. You're mm. focusing on your job title rather than the qualities you had to exhibit at that job in order to be successful. And so many times young people are taught to think about leadership and, and work in terms of titles. Well, I worked as this, I worked as that. And they don't think about the story of how they had to exhibit certain character traits in order to succeed at that. And so when you're selling yourself, looking for new opportunities, the person may not care about what you did in terms of the title or the company that you worked at, but they do care about the things that you learned. They care about the qualities that you had to exhibit. One of the most valuable things for me has been working at restaurants. Every, wow. job, that, okay. every job that I've gotten outside of the restaurant industry, when I go in for my interview, people would say, tell me something about your work experience. I would say, well, look, I know that everybody just like me is going to talk about all of the things that seem directly relevant to this. But what I want to talk about is my restaurant experience. I Love believe it. that more than anything 
has prepared me for this job. Why? Because in a restaurant business, sometimes you'll get sat with six tables all at once. All your customers are really hungry. They're unempathetic. They don't care how busy you are. They all want to eat now and they sit down angry. And you've got to somehow find a way to make those people happy, get them what they need, get them to loosen up, relax, and have a good time with each other. Sometimes you might walk up to a couple and they're fighting and it's awkward as hell. And you've got to figure out a way to get everybody on the same page and make this a good evening. Like this is the kind of quality that I would like to bring to your business. That kind of stuff matters. People care about character in every business. And so to bring it back, part of why we often feel scared to follow our curiosities and to try new things is because we're afraid that if it doesn't work out, then we're going to have to admit that we wasted all of our time when we're applying for a real job that has nothing to do with the things that we played around with. That's not true. That's a weakness in how you tell the story. But if you focus on the things that you learned, if you say, hey, look, for three years, I started a podcast. It didn't go anywhere, but every single week I had to reach out to different experts in my field and I had to develop my question asking skills I developed the courage to approach people that were once intimidating heroes to me. I had to learn skills and project management, how to organize things. I learned about production, how to put together show notes. I learned about editing. I learned about marketing. And you talk about all the things that you learn. People say, whoa, that's impressive. <laughs> I could use a person with those qualities. So anyway, learning how to tell your own story is, is absolutely key to living a meaningful life and to making the most of your past experiences. That's an underestimated skill. I think that so many people need to hear this message because I think a lot of us, we have transferable skills, but we're not realizing how transferable they are. We do. And I love how it was a mock interview with your friend because your friend, you said that he, his shoulders were more back. He was more relaxed when he was talking about his experiences because he's like, oh, I can be me for a second. You know, I can talk about all the things that really light me up outside of this opportunity. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I, had a, I had a friend I used to work with who uh, wanted to be a comedian. And uh, he says, that, well, I mean, that's my real dream to be a comedian, but I really could never be one. And uh, I was like, why not? And he was like, because I'm a white male who grew up rich. And I go, what the heck does that have to do with being a comedian? He goes, oh, man, he goes, all my favorite comedians are these black guys that grew up poor. And so he started talking about Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and all these like old school black guys who grew up really poor. Okay. And as he's telling the story about his heroes who grew up poor and how he grew up as a rich white kid watching all these poor black men use comedy as a way to overcome their problems, the way he's telling this story and poking fun of himself and picking himself apart and talking about his insecurities, he has me laughing the whole time. And I say, dude, do you even realize that your argument for why you can't be a comedian is like the most hilarious story. I couldn't tell it that way, but the way you're telling it is just so funny to me. And you could see the, the light bulb go off in his eyes. And I, I would say there is no such thing as a background that has provided you with nothing. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your experience is, no matter what your upbringing is, there is something unique about your story that you can use to make the case for how indispensable you are. Even if your background is filled with troubles, you know how many people are broken by troubles? Mm -hmm. If you've survived, right? If, if you survived, then that means like, if you've had troubles that no one else has had, then that means 
you've got a testimony. You've got a story that no one else has had. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a story that no one can steal. You know, the comedians say the best jokes are the ones that people can't steal because they are your story. Yes. Yes. I've heard you said that. I've heard you say that before. And I've also heard you say that everyone is put on this earth for a reason. And I love when you said that because it made me like, wow, everyone has the purpose and everyone should pursue that. I like the fact that you you told this friend of yours, you said, Hey, you're making me laugh right now. You're super talented. And you saw him have this light bulb moment. That must've been so refreshing for you because you made him realize, Oh, wow. No, I am funny. I shouldn't doubt myself. I like that. Yeah. The the world needs a hilarious, awkward white guy who grew up rich wanting to go into comedy because all of his heroes were black guys who grew up poor. The world needs that awkward, hilariously funny story. Yeah, exactly. The world needs your story, whatever it is. Yes. So I'm curious, you are now one of the minimalists. And I was wondering what kind of excess did you need to eliminate in your life? And and how has a minimalist lifestyle or a minimalist mentality played a positive role Mm. in your experiences and in your life today? Mm. Okay. So in order to answer that question, I got to take a step back and, and, and frame what minimalism is to me. So minimalism is a little bit like success in a sense it's something that you have to define for yourself, right? What success means to me isn't the same as what success means to you, right? I I think it was Nightingale who said that success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal. Well, what is a worthy goal? A worthy goal is something that is in accordance with your values, your priorities, your preferences, right? And so no matter where we want to go in life, no matter what our dreams are, no matter what our ambitions are, The way to get there is by letting go of the things that hold you back from doing what you already know how to do, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, um, how, how do you make a balloon float? Oh, the balloon already knows how to do that, right? It's, it's, it's more about how do we remove the things that hold it down from doing what it naturally does? I, I think about in terms of education, there's this question of like, how do we get people to be more curious, right? That's like the holy grail of education. How do we get people to be more curious? And my, my constant answer to that has always been, you don't. You mm. respect the fact that they already are curious. And then you ask yourself, how can I stay out of the way, right? So if you look at human beings in their most primitive state, you, you look at children and you find that children are more curious than we could possibly handle. Every little thing that you take for granted. Why is that? Why is that? Why are you doing that? Why are you wearing that? Why are you eating that? You know, well, why did you trip on the floor? You know, why did you just look back right now? Well, why this? Why that? And, and you don't have enough answers to keep up with them, right? They're almost annoyingly curious. And it's only over time we start to condition them away from being curious. We punish them for it. We tell them that their curiosity matters less than their homework. We tell them, stop asking so many questions. We tell them this, we tell them that. And over time, by the time you get older, you learn to be a lot more quiet about what you're curious about. You learn to take it a little bit less seriously. But the question is not how do you make people curious? It's how do you prevent yourself from killing that curiosity? Right. And, 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 I, and I think it's true in, when it comes to success, when it comes to peace, when it comes to all of the good things in life, no one can tell you how to be you. No one can tell you how to take the brilliance and beauty that is you 
and let it shine. But what they can help you do is stop the process of getting out of your own way, because that's what culture conditions us to do. It conditions us to get in our own way because we're afraid. Well, if I, if I'm honest about that, maybe somebody will laugh at me. Well, if I go after that, maybe I'll fall on my face and embarrass myself and never survive. Or maybe if I ask that question uh, and, and admit that I don't know what that teacher is talking about, people will think that I'm the stupid kid. And, and so we, we acquire all this baggage, right? And so for me, minimalism isn't so much about things. Minimalism is about the baggage we've accumulated over time that gets in the way of us being our true self. And sometimes that baggage can take the form of physical objects, but sometimes that baggage can take the form of philosophical beliefs that are self-defeating. It can take the baggage of toxic relationships. It can take the baggage of commitments that we've outgrown. It can take so many other forms, right? So there's physical clutter, but there's relational clutter. There's emotional clutter. There's calendar clutter. There's all sorts of clutter. And for me, where minimalism has been helpful is that it teaches me to live intentionally, to always approach life in terms of what are the results that matter most to me? What are the experiences and outcomes that matter most to me? And what's getting in my way? What's holding me back? What's holding me back from saying yes to the life that I really want to live? Is it, is it me having too many things? Is it me having too many commitments? Is it me saying yes to too many people? Is it me putting too much pressure on myself to achieve more than I want? Is it me having too many things on my calendar or too many beliefs about how I ought to be? You know, those are the things that, that hold us back. And, and, and that's, I, I think for me, most of my excess in life has been internal excess, mm-hmm. internal excess, like a million and one reasons for why if I follow my dreams, I'm going to permanently embarrass myself and have to just go hide away in a cave and never be able to show my face again, you know? And for me, it was just putting my foot out there one step at a time, trying things in a small way, taking risks to the best of my ability, and then realizing, oh, once you get over here on the other side of that fear, Oh, it's an entirely different story than the myths that you build up in your mind, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think minimalism fosters great reflection. It challenges you to do the work, figure out why you are the way you are today. Think about your past, especially for, for my co-host and I, I would say that mental clutter has been the area that we've had to work through the most. And it's a continual process. You aren't just a minimalist one day and and you're a minimalist forever. It's like you have to constantly work on it. And in speaking to a therapist and all these things, you realize why you are the way you are today. When When you gave the example of putting your hand up, for example, I used to be super shy. I was shy my whole childhood until I hit university. And I was so scared to put my hand up because I was scared that I would ask the wrong question and I would, I wouldn't look smart. So And then I broke through that one day. I asked a question and I was like, wow, that was easy. My face went bright red, but I was like, okay, I can keep doing this. And then when it came to delivering speeches, it was like, you got to go in front of a class of people. And I was nervous. And I remember, you know what? Instead of being nervous, I'm going to just announce to the class, hey, everybody, Mm -hmm. my face is going to turn really, really red. 
I I'm just this. gonna let you know in the beginning it's gonna turn really, really red, <laughs> so that they didn't need to point it out every time I went up there because usually people would point it out. Yeah. And so, so anyways, that's maybe going on a tangent, but this is good. In those experiences, I realized, okay, so this was this about me, and I was this way, and this is why I think like this sometimes, and mm. I think a lot of people who have this crazy drive have had a moment in their childhood or their lives where they were told maybe they weren't good enough. Mm. And I definitely, definitely had that. And I believe that I share that with a lot of people who are pursuing their passions. They were told mm. that they couldn't do something. And it's almost like a challenge. Like, yes, I can, you know, I, you know, I've been told that I can't, but I've been maybe exploring all my interests and I'm learning in the process and realizing that, yeah, I can pursue this passion. So that feels really, really good. And so I, I'm, I'm mm. glad to hear that minimalism has done that for you because I think that's extremely relatable. I think a lot of people, they just think, oh, well, maybe my possessions are overwhelming and that's why I can't do what I want to do in my life. And maybe that's the case, but it, it's usually a big mental roadblock, a roadblock that we put on ourselves or that maybe a peer has put onto us. Oh, you can't do that. Or maybe it's a parent. Oh, you can't do that. And so yeah. this lifestyle allows you to make the time for yourself to dig deep, reflect, and go into each day more mindfully and with greater intention. And I think that it's that space and that clarity that really helps us focus forward. Yeah, that, that's so good. I, I like what you said about how when, when, you, when you clear the stuff out of the way, you realize, okay, there, there's still more stuff to clear out, but, it, but it's, it's just not the stuff that you can see, right? It's the stuff on the inside. And I think that's because physical clutter is a manifestation of non-physical clutter. It's a manifestation of psychological clutter, but we can't see it because we've created through this physical clutter an escape route, a way to distract ourselves from the inner clutter. It, it's the same thing with our cell phones, right? All of these notifications, all of these easy dopamine hits that we get, they provide an easy way for us to escape the ghosts that haunt us when we're alone, but you put the cell phone away and you just close the door and you go alone in a room and stuff that's always been there begins to rise up and, and, and you can run from it or you can deal with it. And, and when you deal with it, you find, oh man, there's so much freedom from being willing to go there. But oftentimes you have to clear away some of the physical stuff in order to notice that again. And so I'm, I'm really glad you said that. And I thought that was really cool. Another thing I'll say too, is there is a version of minimalism that can be as much of a cop-out as, as, as uh, spinning your whole day scrolling. And, and, and it's the version of minimalism that I call like mathematical legalism, where mm. you, you try to come up with some universal formula for the right amount of stuff to have, right? And you say, well, righteousness is if I have less than 15 things, that makes me a good person, right? And, and so I'm gonna strive to be this kind of person who fulfills this quantitative standard of righteousness. And that can be just another way of hiding because it's like, well, now you're just being a legalist in the opposite direction. In the same way that you made a God out of consumerism, well, now you're making a God out of you know the mathematics of minimalism. You're defining integrity by the number of things that you don't own, which, which can be just as damaging as defining you know, success by the number of things you do own. It's not about how many things you have or how many things you don't have. It's about what are you willing to let go of in order to say yes to the life that you really want. And for mm -hmm. some people, that means boiling it down to 15 things. 
For some people, that means boiling it down to 30 things. For some people, it might mean one thing. For another person, it might mean 100 things. But it's about not about the number. Don't hide behind the numbers. It's about being willing to look within and say, hey, what makes me come alive? Mm-hmm. And what am I willing to do in order to get there, you know, in order to live that? 100%. I always imagine, you know, you see all these people out in the world. Some people are super, super fancy. Some people aren't as fancy. Some people are more minimalist in their attire and people judge people by the surface or by their titles at their job titles. But at the end of the day, if we're all in a room, let's put everybody in the same clothes. You know, what's the most interesting thing about each person is how they share their stories, how they talk, what their experiences right. are. So you want to invest in the growth in yourself. You don't want to invest in all those expensive purchases. Like it doesn't, that's right. that stuff's not meaningful. And at the end of the day, you know, you've, you've done some podcasts with the minimalists about death and you had a near death experience and you think about, okay, what are the things that I'm going to leave on this earth? What are people going to remember about me? They're not going to remember about the fancy things that I own. They're going to remember about my story, how I made them feel when we had a conversation. Yeah. So. And if they do remember you just for the things that you own, Oh, how heartbreaking would it be to be able to come back and see that your name only gets brought up when people are fighting over who gets possession of your stuff. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty heartbreaking. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I feel like I, what I love about this lifestyle is it, 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 it challenges you to do the work to become your best self. Basically, you know, you yeah. remove the excess. Yeah. Yeah. What's left is you. And you now have the opportunity to pursue everything that you wanted to. And And this actually goes well into my next question. You often remind your audiences that discovering our dreams is one thing, but in order to make our dreams become a reality, we have to make intentional decisions. So there's one thing to clear the excess and realize, okay, these are my interests and I can turn one of these into a passion. But there's another thing to actually make quality decisions that get us closer to our goals. But the problem with that is that sometimes we can feel too overwhelmed. We're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how where to start. I don't know what to do. And we feel like sometimes that we have to do it all and we have to work 24 seven in order to achieve our dreams, which often hinders our ability to start. So I'm curious what you think about that and how we can stop putting that pressure on ourselves. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, so a lot of this starts with why it's possible to have a dream that doesn't even belong to you. So in psychology, we, we often talk about projection, right? Which is when, when somebody take, takes what's going on inside of them and, and they project it onto you. So, you know, maybe, maybe I say, Kelly, I think you're jealous of me when really what's happening is I'm jealous of you. Right. But I'm projecting that onto you. I'm taking my internal mess and I'm projecting it onto you. Well, the opposite of that is introjection. Introjection is when I take what's going on with somebody else and I internalize it as my own. So one of the common ways that we might introject is maybe you grow up and maybe someone tells you what they think you'd be good at or what they think that you were born to do, right? And so maybe somebody else has a concept of the good life for you and you really want to impress them or make them proud and you can internalize somebody else's dream for you when that dream isn't really the thing that makes you come alive. And we live in a culture now where there are so many external forces that are just like feeding us these narratives about what will get, make us happy, what will make us successful. And then we go on social media and no matter how old you are, there's, there's at least one person that's half your age that's got way better output than you, right? 
Like there's somebody that's half your age that's already published like three, four books. They produce like four or five movies. You know, they made four or five million, whatever it is you want to do. You know what I mean? They've already done that and moved on. And, and so you look at that and you're like, oh man, I, I really got to get it going. And so by the time we come up with our dreams and our strategy for pursuing it, there's a decent chance that it's been contaminated by so many factors that don't even represent our authentic self. And if you find yourself rushing, feeling like you need to achieve your dream overnight, it may very well be the case that you've got some things going on that have mingled themselves together with your dream that aren't really about the dream. It's about maybe impressing this person, keeping up with this person, feeling like you're behind and so on. And, 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 and I think really in, in terms of dealing with that, it's, it's realizing that success isn't about what you have or where you end up. It's, it's also about how you got there. It's also about the uniqueness of your story. This world doesn't just need stories of people who knew that they wanted to play the piano since they were five. That's an awesome story. But thank God that's not the only story, because I, I like the story of of the guy who played in a rock band who decided when he was in his 30s that he wanted to go into neurology, even though he didn't know anything about that. I like that story, too. I like the story of the priest who used to be an atheist. Right. That's what I like. That's an interesting story. And so we need all of these beautiful stories. And so success isn't just going to be about, oh, I finally wrote a book. I finally made a movie. I finally got this job or I, I finally you know, moved to this city. It's also going to be about the particular struggles that you faced along the way, the people that you met along the way. And so if you felt like your life isn't moving as quickly as other people's, you know, I, I would opt out of that comparison game. And I would say the beauty of my story is what I desire for me, for the sake of my aliveness. And it's also about my hero's journey of how I'm going to get there. And that's when you can begin to approach the game of life a little bit more playfully. And you don't have to treat your dreams as something that you got to give yourself a heart attack for working, you know, 200 hours a week just to make things happen by the end of the month. You can say, no, like, this is what makes a beautiful story. Life is a gift that's given to us so that time doesn't happen all at once. And it's a beautiful thing to give your story the chance to breathe to give your story the chance to make it un to unfold because that's what's going to make your story interesting that's what's going to make it that's what's going to make it worth telling you know like if if someone were to make a movie about your life you know chances are they'll decide to make the movie based on something cool you accomplished right so so here's kelly and kelly won an academy award right for her amazing performance in this movie all right okay cool we're going to make a movie about kelly well you know what the movie is not going to be? It's not going to be you winning the Academy Award. If we put that in the movie at all, that's probably going to be like two minutes worth, right? Because that's going to be the most boring part, hands down, even if it's the reason why we make the movie. The only thing that's going to make this movie interesting at all is the part where, hey, is there a stage in Kelly's life where she had no idea that she was even good enough to win an Academy? Oh, yeah, let's go spend at least 30 minutes on that. Hey, was there a part of Kelly's life where she was really confused and maybe doubting herself and thinking about giving up. Oh yeah, we got to put that scene on there. Is there any scene where she was like yelling at somebody or crying because she just hated her life? Oh, that's definitely in the movie. Is there any <laughs> scene where somebody told her that she never achieved anything? That's definitely in the movie, right? Like all of the stuff that we're in a rush to get over with that, that, that commits us to all of these things like overworking or wearing ourselves out, all of that stuff, 
That's what's going to make the story worth telling. That's what's going to make the movie worth watching. That's the exciting part. That's the human part. That's the part that other people connect with. The part where you won the Oscars, the part where you got that million dollar check. Yeah, we, we might put that like when the movie's over, we might put that in words like Kelly went on to win a million dollars and win the Oscar, right? Or we might yeah. end with a picture of you holding your Oscar, but we can't make a movie out of that, even right. if that's the reason why we make the movie, you know? It's that process. That's the, the best process. part. The process is the best part. The process like is the life part. That's what life is. Yeah. And it, that's where, that's where the story lies. I mean, in all of my conversations with those interesting people and even my interesting peers today, it's that I, I don't want to just know the outcome. Like, Hey, what happened in the process of achieving this goal of yours? You know, I know what the, I know what the achievement is, but how did you get there? Where are all these stories that I don't even know about? Right. And we never yeah, really hear about yeah. that stuff. So, well, you know, something that would help too, is it's important to have heroes that are outside of the influencer, entertainment, celebrity, athletic culture. And here's what I mean. Like if, if all of your, you know, I, I know for me growing up in a house full of boys, all of our heroes were basketball stars, right? And, and, and Olympic athletes and football players, people who essentially peaked when they were like 33, if you're, if you're an NBA player or an NFL player or a major league baseball player and you're 35, you are old now. Oh, I in know. <laughs> in, in real life, yeah. 35, you, you go to an assisted living facility, you know what I mean? Or you go around people that are 50 and you tell them <laughs> you're 35, they will laugh and say, oh, you're a child, right? Well, like I was, I was actually a model and you know, you yeah. hit 22 and you're old. So <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if all your heroes are like that, yeah. You know, all your heroes are actors and they're athletes and they're models and they're influencers and, and, and they're working in these careers where everybody peaks at like 22 or 25 or 30. Then it, it kind of puts you in this mindset that in order to be somebody of substance in this life, you got to do all that there is to be done by the time you're 29. And I would encourage anybody who feels that way to step back a little bit from influencer culture and to get a broader sense of history, because there are so many successful people in so many different ways who change the world. And not just in terms of making a lot of money, you got those stories too. Not just in terms of building businesses, you got those stories too. But in terms of radically altering lives at every level of life, there are people that didn't even begin to come into their own until they were in their 40s, people I in their those. 50s, people mm -hmm. in their 60s. And you gotta have stories like that in your arsenal to help give you a broader perspective on how to create a life. I love it. I love it. You also have this video on YouTube called non-zero days. And mm. I felt so moved by it because it's all about how to build momentum, even if that takes five to 10 minutes each day. So could you share a little bit of a background on what non-zero days means and the small steps that we can take each day to act on our dreams? Yes. Yeah, so the, the, the term non-zero, I start the video saying there's a concept that I love called non-zero days. And that is not a concept that I coined. Non-zero days was a, a Reddit thread that went viral where uh, some guy, or I, I actually don't even know if it was a guy, some person actually had this idea of don't have any zero days, where a zero day, day is where you just do absolutely nothing, you know, to move you in the direction of your dreams. It's just make every day a non-zero day. And so if all you get is one push-up, just like do one push-up, whatever it may be, just like 
make every day a non-zero day. And so I took that concept and kind of fleshed it out and applied it to different aspects of our dreams and so on and, and creating change. And because one of, one of the things I see is a tendency for people to talk themselves out of the idea that they love something because they are not committed to it as much as they thought they would be committed if they truly loved it. So, you know, I thought I loved writing, but I guess I really don't because I haven't written this week. I, I, I thought I loved, I, I, I thought I loved music, but you know, it's been three months and I haven't practiced the piano. So I guess I don't really love it. And the reality is it's possible to love something and still struggle with being consistent. It's possible to love something and still have a miserable performance in relation to being dedicated to what you love because human beings are complex. Sometimes we contradict ourselves. Sometimes we fall prey to demons of doubt. Sometimes we procrastinate. Sometimes we have unhealthy attachments and addictions. Sometimes we let our fears get the best of us, okay? There are a lot of reasons for why we can love something or someone and flat out fail to show up for it. And that doesn't mean that we don't love what we say we love. It means that we're struggling to show up. And so the concept of non-zero days, as I talked about in that video, is about building momentum, not putting the pressure on yourself to prove that you love something by going all in in one day, right? So if you're the type of person where you just haven't worked out in a while and you say to yourself, all right, that's it. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to run five miles every day. It's like you're kind of setting yourself up for failure there, right? Because you know, even if you do do that, it's going to be an intimidating thought to think, whoo, I got to show up tomorrow and do that again when you haven't conditioned yourself to do it, because it's going to really hurt if you haven't worked out like that and you somehow managed to run five miles on day one. And if you don't do it, then you're going to take a self-esteem hit and be like, ah, I knew I was a screw up. I knew I was BSing myself. I, 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 I knew I didn't have it in me to do something like that, right? And, 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 or maybe if you get intimidated beforehand and you just don't get started, it's just, it's just like, ah. It's just easier to just not do anything. It's just easier to buy into a belief like this doesn't work. On the other hand, what if you take something really, really small, something that's like ridiculously easy, so much so that it's a commitment that'll make you laugh. Like, hey, can you get up tomorrow, put on your running clothes and give me one block? Oh yeah, of course I can do that on my worst day of the week. Perfect, because that's what I want. I want you to pick something that you can do on your absolute worst day of the week because you're gonna get one of those every week for sure. And when you get that worst day of the week, if it's five miles, then you're probably not going to be motivated to do it. But if it's, if it's just one block, you'll probably say, all right, you know what? I can at least do one block. But here's the crazy thing. Once you get out there and you do that one block, if you've got a second one in you, it's going to be much easier to go to block two from having already done block one when you're already mm -hmm. outside in your running clothes. You've worked up a sweat. You're just getting warmed up. Yeah, let's go ahead and do two, three, four more blocks. You can always do more. But if you give yourself a commitment that you know you want fail on, that puts you in the game, that puts you in a position where you can build momentum and the momentum takes over. And so if you've got changes that you, you, you want to create in your life, don't be afraid of disrespecting your dream by starting small. Don't say, oh, you know, yeah, I do want to write a book, but I'm not going to disrespect the integrity of writing by just showing up and writing a sentence. Oh, no. That's not going to be disrespecting the integrity of writing. Show up and write one sentence. That's the highest way to expect it because there's a magic called momentum that begins to take over. And one of the things I like to say is that the people who get stuck 
are not the ones who start small. The people who get stuck are the ones who are so afraid to start small that they don't start at all. So well said. Oh, you, you, you also said in another talk, dreams don't come true. Decisions do. It's another talk that you did part of the, the foundation for entrepreneurial education, where you actually deliver workshops on entrepreneurship to high school and college students. And you said, quote, dreams make us valuable, but they are not built without any resistance. You said, and it's that resistance that people get, they feel paralyzed. They're like, oh, well, I don't want to start. Right. But I love the idea of these small steps, the idea that momentum is, is, as you said, where the power lies in achieving our dreams. It's those small little steps each day. It's even, you maybe think about making my bed in the morning, make my bed one accomplishment, and then I can do other things each day. It makes everything so much easier and brings me closer to my goals. So I love that. And in keeping with this other talk that you had, dreams don't come true, decisions do. You talk about the law of inertia in physics. And mm. I remember when you brought that up and I thought, okay, what does he mean by this? Because I know that law means basically, I remember from university, the idea that if an object is resting, it will continue to rest. If an object is in motion, it will continue to move. I guess it's the idea of, it made me think of the golden handcuffs where if someone is in a company, they don't, they can't leave because they've got those golden handcuffs, despite knowing that innately they have this dream, but they're scared of pursuing it because they're getting the money that they want or they're comfortable. What advice would you give to someone like that? Well, that's what creativity is for. Like, the existence of challenges is not an argument against creativity. Uh, the existence of challenges, it, it's the reason why we need creativity. If challenges didn't exist, creativity would be a meaningless concept. I mean, here's what creativity is. We, 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 we mystify it and romanticize it, but, but here's what creativity is. Creativity is what happens when a human being has a goal something that they want to do. It can be small, it can be dramatic, it can be whatever. It can be, I'm going to walk across the room. And on the way to pursuing that goal, something unexpected happens. Something you can't control happens, right? Someone tries to stop you from walking across the room. You want to have a picnic and it rains, or you, 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 you want to go to school and you run out of money, or you, you, you want to go to a party and someone says no, or your car breaks down. We call those things problems, a problem is just something that gets in the way of a goal. It's, it's something that makes getting what we want a little bit difficult. And what do you do when you have a problem? Well, you got to try to figure out a way to go over it, go under it, go around it, go through it. That's called improvisation. That's called adapting. And that's what creativity is. Creativity is the stuff that we think, say, and do in response to the problems that get in the way of the possibilities we want to explore. And from the outside looking in, it looks like, oh, wow, you're so creative. I can't believe you did that. And from the inside, the experience doesn't feel creative at all. It feels like you're just fighting for your life. It feels like you're just trying to get something done. It feels like you're just trying to make it from point A to point B. I, 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 I told a story about this in, um, a talk that I gave at Creativity Unleashed or Childhood Unleashed, and it was about raising children in an age of conformity. Um, mm. And I, I talked about this football player, Barry Sanders, who was considered to be one of the most creative running backs. I mean, the kinds of things that this guy would do when they gave him the football, when people would try to tackle him, the way he would spin around, the way he would slip through the defense, it was like watching art. 
And one day a commentator after a game wanted to understand his thought process and like, you know, what is it that you're thinking when you're on the field? And, and like, tell me a little bit more about trying to get into the mind of this artist. And he says, I just don't like to get hit. And it was as simple as, hey, look, when they give me the ball, I've got one job to do. And that's run it into the end zone. That's all I'm trying to do. And if I could do that, I would just do it. If I could just run straight to the end zone in a completely boring fashion with no spin moves, I would totally do that every time. But you know what happens on the way to the end zone? Lots of people try to tackle me. And so when someone jumps in front of me and they try to tackle me and I freak out, I jump over them, you know, because I'm trying not to get hit or, you know, someone's coming this way and I spin around them. I'm just trying not to get hit so that I can get into the end zone. And creativity is trying not to get hit. It's trying not to get stopped. It's going after the possibilities you want to explore and improvising and using your imagination to negotiate the obstacles that crop up along the way. If we didn't have those challenges, if we didn't have those obstacles, none of us would be creative. None of us would ever need to be creative because we could just move in a beeline towards everything that we want. In fact, we'd be the most boring people because whenever we wanted something, we want a meal, we just do that. But there's this obstacle that says, I have finite abilities, finite resources, finite skills, and the process of getting food to my mouth is a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot of stuff that gets in the way. You know, I've got to go hunt something or gather something. I've got to, I've got to get off my butt and I've got to go look around. I've got to do something, right? And so that requires creativity. And so sometimes when we have challenges in life, we sit back and we say, well, I want to be creative. I want to be this creative person, but I've got a hard life. I've got some challenges and some difficulties. And we take that as a reason for why we shouldn't be creative. And I say, no, that's exactly why the world needs your creativity. Yes. Without that hard stuff, yes, there would be no point to your creativity. And so if you've got something that you want to do, don't just be creative with the work that you want to do, but be creative in the process of inventing the opportunity to do that kind of stuff, right? That's Very how I well see it. Oh, amazing. You know, I'm loving this because you're reinforcing the idea that friction is a necessary part of the process. And it's it's sad to think that some people see their adversities as like, okay, well, this is a complete setback. I can't even move forward from this. But it's like, no, we need you out there. We need you in the world because I don't know, for me, I feel like in my experiences and with conversations with all my peers, you realize that it's those people that, that have that crazy depth and that energy and that drive and it, that, that friction, those negative experiences, you can really turn it into something amazing. And you were recently on the table podcast with Anthony O'Neill. And <laughs> I've also interviewed Anthony, great guy. And yeah, you, Anthony. he's so great. And, and you tell him that anyone who chases a dream will fail. And his face was like, what? Don't say that. And you express how failure actually leads us to greater growth and wisdom. Now, what would you say is the greatest reward that we gain when we follow a dream? You get to become the version of yourself that lies on the other side of all the things you need to do in order to chase the dream, right? So you can sit on the couch and do nothing and dream a dream, right? You can say, I want to be a great choreographer, and you can sit back and close your eyes and you can dream that. But in order to make that dream a reality, 
You've got to get out there and you've got to engage the world in some very specific ways. And the magic of that is it's impossible to engage the world in all the different ways you have to, to chase after a dream while remaining the same person that you were when you were merely conceiving the dream. The guy that I am while I'm sitting on the couch mm. dreaming of being a choreographer, that's a very different dude than the guy I'm going to end up becoming by getting off my butt and asking for opportunities, getting out there, auditioning, you know, using my own resources to do something, watching a bunch of videos to learn my craft, taking some courses, changing cities, you know, whatever it may be, meeting people, connecting with people, admitting what I don't know, failing, all of those things transform me. And so I believe it's important for people to pursue their dreams, not because I think there's some kind of guarantee that you're going to get what you want, but rather there is a superior version of self that lies on the other side of all those fears that you have to face, all of those challenges that you have to go through, all of those questions that you have to get answered. There's a version of you that's wiser than the you that you are right now, a version of you that's funnier than the you that you are right now, more courageous and resilient than the you that you are right now. And you don't get to become that just by visualizing the dream. You only get to become that by doing what you got to do to confront reality. And so I encourage people to follow their dreams because even if they fail, they get to know what failure is from the inside out. And can you really be a human being without that knowledge? Mm -hmm. Can you really teach anybody anything if all you know are theoretical failures? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a philosophy professor tell me one time, her name was Sylvia Cope, the late Sylvia Cope. She, she said to me one time when I was thinking about pursuing a crazy dream, you know, but, but also in grad school at that time and, and feeling like, you know, but I got an opportunity to teach philosophy and, 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 and she says, you know, TK, the world doesn't need any philosophy professors who don't know anything about following their own dreams. She goes, the last thing we need is for you to become a philosophy professor and one day be some guy with the beard teaching 20-year-olds, and you don't know what it's like to go out there and fall on your face. You don't know what it's like to go out there and chase after something that you really want. Go follow your dreams. Go get your questions answered. You can always come back to this teaching stuff. It's the best advice that I ever received. It's not wow. for everybody, I suppose. Best advice wow. I ever received. That's incredible yeah. advice. Hey, you're not ready yet. You need to go out in the world. Go explore. Go grow as a human. You, you have a quote in this conversation that I have to share because it was the most beautiful quote I've ever heard. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's honestly so, it's, it's so true and just so meaningful. You said the purpose for following a dream isn't that we might get everything we want, but rather that we will get to become a superior version of ourselves in spite of the failures that happen along the way. It's like, I wish I could say it like that every time. Yeah. I was like, wow. It's it's yeah. so true. You said that on the other side of our fears is a better version of ourselves. And it makes me think about you and your past experiences, you know, everything from theater to philosophy to running your own business to what everything that you're doing right now. I'm obviously you had a lot of fears and you had your own failures, but think about the person you are today. 
I mean, you're, I mean, I, I love to sit when I describe you to people, I'm like, oh yeah, TK, like the way TK pieces words together, you piece words together like no one else. <laughs> and, oh, well, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, there's all these aspects of your character that grow and maybe you become wiser, you become better listener, you become more empathetic, all these things, right? That maybe you wouldn't have been had you not gone through all those experiences and failures. Yeah. Can I give you a couple of personal stories about this? Yeah, absolutely. You got time? Okay. Yeah. So one, I, I remember that there was a time where I, I was doing a lot of thinking around the the whole concept of, of giving yourself permission to be physically present in spaces that you feel you are not worthy to be in, right? Facing those insecurities. And, and this was, I'm living in LA at this time and I'm driving my beat up car. And I'm working as a dog sitter and I don't have, a, I don't have a lot of money. I don't even have a whole lot of confidence, but I'm like, man, I really got to build up, build up my mind, build up my soul, build up my confidence. So one day, I don't even know how I got this idea, but I just made up my mind that I was going to drive my beat up car to Beverly Hills, Rodeo Drive, which is like the richest area, right? Because I knew that that was an environment that I would feel really insecure in. It's nothing but like super wealthy people walking around. And I also knew that I didn't want there to be a place on this earth where I couldn't walk around and feel, feel comfortable being me. I wanted to feel like I belonged there. And so I, I went and um, drove my car and, and parked, you know, and um, I started walking around Rodeo Drive and I'm window shopping and I'm going in and out of stores, you know what I mean? And I'm starting to feel good and I'm starting to feel comfortable. And then, you know, when I felt like I've gotten enough, I decide, okay, I'm going to start walking back to my car and I'm walking past a bunch of shops and then I hear a voice, TK. And I go, oh my gosh, I don't know anybody in Beverly Hills. And I turn around and it's one of the guys whose dogs, I get paid to dog sit, right? Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> and um, his name's Jeff, Jeff Robinson. You're watching this, what's up, Jeff? And uh, he goes, what are you doing here? And I wanted to lie. And I, and I tried to think up a, a good excuse to good lie for why I'm out in Beverly Hills. And, and I say, you know what, Jeff? I said, I'm going to tell you the truth, man. I'm out here because this is a place that's way above my pay grade. And, and I just needed to up my mentality. You know, I, I just needed to come out here and feel like I belong here. And he, then he told me a story about his father and how his father had this dream of starting this foundation that went on to become a philanthropic foundation that helped so many people. And he says, hey, man, that's how every dream starts. He goes, so, hey, I live out here and I'm letting you know. On behalf of Beverly Hills, brother, you belong here. You know, I, I felt like I felt like two feet taller. And I walked back to my car like, oh, yeah, right. And and <laughs> that like story. that was something that nobody told me to do. That was something that I wasn't obligated to do. That was something that my curiosity and my aspiration compelled me to do. And what I got out of that was not just a story that I can tell. But I got out of that a magical moment that will remain with me forever. I mean, what are the odds that that guy and, and of all people, that particular guy would be there to tell me the story that I needed at that moment in time that would confirm for me? Yeah, man, you're keep following your inner compass. Keep following that inner compass. Um, here's another. Let me tell you about the audition for American Idol. Yes, yes, please in. do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if I succeeded at American Idol, you know, I, I wouldn't be here talking about what I'm talking about today. We'd be talking about music, right? So, okay. I had a friend who lived in LA, lives in LA. He's an actor, Paige Kennedy. I'm living in Michigan at this time. And I'm in grad school at this time. 
And he calls me up and he's like, hey, dude, because like all throughout college, that's all I did was just walk around singing all the time. Right. And he's like, hey, look, man, he's like American Idol. They're having auditions. He's like, uh, it's in Detroit. He's like, dude, you got to go audition, man. He's like, you got to go. What can I do to get you to uh, go? And I'm like, nah, man, I don't want to go do that. I'm not I'm not going to audition for American Idol. I'm not good enough for that. He's like, come on, man. He's like, you got some chops. You love singing. You got to go for it. And I was like, no, I was just too scared. He calls me up again, maybe like a week or so later. He's like, hey, look, there's another audition in Chicago. Second chance. You got to go. You got to go. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm not going to do it. This guy calls me again. And he's like, hey, look, he goes, they're having auditions in San Jose. This time it's in California and you're in Michigan. He goes, but Marcus and I, a, a mutual friend, he says, Marcus and I have been talking and we're really passionate about you going to audition. And so we've decided that we want to fly you out here. We want to put you up in a hotel because we believe in you that much. Now, when you've got friends that believe in you like that, it's kind of hard to just blow it off. And even then I was like, I don't know. I'll think about it. Because <laughs> originally you know, I was thinking, wow, this friend's amazing. And then now I'm like, this friend's incredible. <laughs> this friend's incredible. Yeah. Paige Kennedy. Yeah. He's been there for me a lot of times. I love it. Um, check out the Meg part two, making its way to the theaters. In addition to that, He's currently in a show on Netflix called The Upshaws, and he plays the character Duck. So big shout out to Paige. All right. So um, after some thought, long story made shorter, I, I decided I was like, OK, I'm going to do it. And I, I've got some time to prepare. Right. And so um, I tell one of my buddies uh, that, you know, I'm going to do this. And, and he, he's a musician friend. And he goes, well, you know what you got to do, man? He's like, if you want to prepare, you got to work on your nerves. He's like. Here's what we're going to do, man. He says, we're going to go around on campus and we're going to randomly stop people and we're going to have you sing for them on the spot. Oh my gosh, and, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> he was like, if you can do that, man, he's like, you will be a man of steel and you'll be so cold-blooded. You'll be ready to go. Totally. And I was scared, but I was like, let's do it. Let's do it, right? And so the two of us would walk on campus together and we just randomly stop people and be like, hey, can I sing for you? Can I sing for you? And some people would be like, what? This this weirdo. Okay, sure. Everybody said, yeah. Some people will be like, okay, this is weird. Some people will be like, oh, this is really cute. Oh, this is really cool. And so we would sing for people. And by the time like I did this for like over a week, my confidence was through the roof. I mean, when you just randomly stop people on campus and you're like, hey, can I sing for you? And then you just sing for them. It's like, what else is there to lose? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm confident at this point. So the day before, you know, I get ready to leave. I walk into most popular coffee shop near campus, Rocket Star Cafe, no longer exists, but it's called Rocket Star Cafe. And that place is filled with students, right? And I walk in with so much confidence, man of destiny kind of energy. And I pull a chair and I stand on the chair and I say, excuse me, everybody, can I have your attention? And everybody <laughs> looks at me. I says, hey, my name is TK. I'm getting ready to fly to California to audition for American Idol. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> <I> says, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, so what I want to do is I want to sing my audition for song for you right now. Wow. And this is what I'm going to sing when I go out there. And, <laughs> and I, I, I sang uh, back at one Brian McKnight and uh, everybody, the energy was electric and they were like, yeah. And I'm telling you, I was like, wow. Kelly, I'm getting on that plane. I'm going to California. And I am going to be America's Next Idol. I knew it. 
And I went out there and I was pumped up, right? So we're at the San Jose Shark Stadium and it is filled like you think it was the Super Bowl. And, oh. and what's crazy, one lesser known fact, what's crazy about the audition is that not everybody who shows up to audition for American Idol even gets to audition. That's how many people there are. Like we were there a day earlier, like sleeping outside, okay? And you have to get a pass that is your guarantee to audition. Wow, I had no like, idea. Yeah, you're, you're in a huge day long worth line, you know, and you get a pass to, all right, this is a guarantee I get to audition. So anyway, we got one of those passes. I, I, me and another friend got one of those passes. So anyway, you go in and the way they have it is there are like several tables with three producers each that are kind of like on the, 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 the rink or the gym floor and everybody's sitting in the stadium and they call you out like different groups of like, let's say like 20 people in front of each one of those tables, right? Okay. And one person at a time come up and you sing. And if they point you one way, that means, okay, you are either interestingly good or interestingly bad. Either way, you're worth going in front of the television producers because this will be fascinating to watch and see what we want to do with. This way, you're either uninterestingly good or uninterestingly bad. And this means you're going home, okay? So I get up there. It's my moment. I know I got this. I mean, I'm the same guy that walked into the coffee shop like Man of Steel. And I sing my song and... I'm looking at them for the reaction and they point me to the door. <laughs> they point me to the door home. And, and, and I'm like, uh, um, um, but, but, but why, uh, but I don't understand, yeah. but why I'm the man of destiny. It's like, you gotta go. You gotta go. It's like millions of people here, dude, you gotta go. And I was like, oh, you think I was devastated, mm -hmm. but the real feeling was like, whoa, I want more of that. Whatever the hell that, that feeling was, I want more of that. I, I'm not dead. Yes. I'm, I'm alive. I'm, 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 I'm still, I'm still alive. I'm still here. My heart is beating really fast. You mean I, I just freaking slept outside to, to get those tickets. And I just auditioned for America. I just did that. Oh my gosh. I want more. I want more things that feel alive like that. And even though I didn't get what I wanted, I cannot think of a single thing in my life that's worse off as a result of it. You know, I have never once in my life told that story and had anyone say to me anything other than, oh man, tell me the story. What happened? Oh, what was this person like? Did you, did, did you see this? Did you see that? Is there any else, any other thing that we don't get to see on TV? What about this? What about that? I've never had anybody go, you loser. You audition for American Idol, get out of my face, you loser. No, what people actually say is like, oh man, I, I wish I could do something like that. Or, oh, well, I don't want to do anything like that, but it's fascinating that you did. It's so cool to know someone who did. Like, I not only have a cool story, but I got something from that experience that gave me courage that I could apply to other things. Like after you do something like that and you get told no and you don't die, it's like, okay. I'm, I'm ready for the world now. I mean, yes. any dreams that I have after this, the notion of being afraid of it is laughable. And so going after your dreams can pay off in so many ways beyond things happening in the way you expect them. I mean, the version of yourself that you get to become when you face that interestingness, the things you get to discover about yourself 
when you face that music and dance, even if you trip and fall on the floor while you're dancing. I love the way you share the story. It's incredible. The energy in you, you're like reliving this and it's just coming out of you. And I'm realizing it's the, it's the confidence that you gained. It's the courageousness that you gained all of this stuff. You left that room feeling, oh, wow. Like I am not disappointed or sad. I mean, I'm sure there was some of that, but it wasn't, but the overall main feeling, if I'm understanding you correctly was, wow, look at all of what I've accomplished here. Like, I'm proud of myself yeah. and I'm realizing in this moment, it's nice that you reflected in that moment. You're like, hey, I'm on this high. I want to relive this high. What can I do in my life so that I can continue to feel this feeling that I'm feeling right now? That's exactly that. right. Yeah. Like, what wh- what is there? What is there to regret? Right. I mean, what is there to regret? Like, it, it's 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 you get to live an interesting story to tell. And, and there, there's no substitute for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I wish I could listen to all your stories. <laughs> I'm sure you have many, many, many more to share, but to start to close our conversation, I have three rapid fire questions for you. So as the newest co-host of the minimalist podcast, how are you looking to influence others? I would like to completely blow apart the stereotype that minimalism is something that only belongs to the privileged that minimalism is a message that is only useful for people that are swimming in millions of dollars, boatloads of money, and have too much jewelry. I want to show people how this way of looking at life is also beneficial to people who have nothing, but who are hypnotized by a culture that tells them that because they have nothing, they are nothing, and that they can never create something from nothing. So powerful. It's yeah. so true. I love the fact that you are helping squash those misconceptions. I think it's so important. I think people are always just thinking about the physical things as well. And there's just so, so, so much more. It's about living a simple, more intentional life. Who wouldn't want that? (laughs) I always say that. So the next question is, what is one quote that you've always lived by, or maybe one that resonates with you today? Mm. It's hard because you're a book of quotes. (laughs) Well, well, this is one I, I've said so many times, but I, I continue to swear by it. And it's Howard Thurman. Ask not yourself what the world needs, but rather what makes you come alive, for that is what the world needs, people who have come alive. Uh, another that I like is Seth Godin. He says, instead of trying to figure out when your next vacation will be, try instead to create a life that you don't feel the need to escape from. Oh. <laughs> Because the majority of people, that's what they're doing. They're thinking about their next vacation so that they can escape their lives. So yeah. it's sad. Uh, and, and hopefully yeah. we can change that. Hopefully. Let me give a third. Wayne Dyer. Responsibility does not equal blame. Responsibility equals the power to respond with ability. Where you are and what happened to you may not be your fault, but it is within your power to make things better. Embrace that power. You have the permission to do so. That is so beautiful. Well said. Now, what is one final message you would like to leave with our community? Mm. Being yourself actually works and nobody can tell you how to be you. Timothy Speed Levitch has this interesting quote where he says, there are secret places inside the human soul that know nothing of the outside world. I would say it is your job to go within 
and to unearth those secret places within your soul. Because no matter how supportive your friends may be, no matter how loving the people around you may be, there are beautiful things that are true of you that no one can know enough about to encourage. No one can find out about them until you become the pioneer of your own soul and you go within and you bring it out before anybody believes in you, before anybody knows enough to encourage you to do it. And you say, hey world, here's this interesting treasure I found in myself. Let me share it with you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. Thank you so much for your message yeah. here. I know that our listeners are going to gain so much from our conversation today. So thank you so much. Yeah. I just wanted to leave us with a few words from your website. You said that the reason you should pursue the things that make you come alive is not that the universe guarantees victory to all of our endeavors, but that dreams are the path to self-discovery and self-actualization. That that was so beautiful. You said, I want to share this secret with others. I want to help others find the clarity to discover what makes them come alive and the courage to get there and actually do it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Hey, and shout out to you and everything that you're doing with your show. I'm a big fan of, of all that you're doing as well. And, and you. you're bringing, you're bringing these cool ideas to a new generation. And um, I, I would have never guessed that, that you turn red every time you ask the question because you, you're a natural. You're awesome at it. Yeah. Oh, thank you it. so much. I appreciate yeah. that. I think I'm a little red right now, but, <laughs> but a little thank bit. you. Just a little bit. Yeah. So, so where can our <laughs> listeners learn more about you and connect with you, TK? Oh my. So you can, I, I mean, go, go to, uh, go to minimalism, you know, go to our website and, and check out the podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, The Minimalist, we have new episodes every single week. So um, you can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, again, wherever you listen to podcasts and you can find me there and everything that we're working on. We, we talk about that episode to episode. Other than that, you can check out my project that I do called Revolution of One. And that's, a, that's an in the classroom project where me and different instructors, entrepreneurs and so on, we go into different schools high schools and colleges. And we talk about economics and entrepreneurial thinking and things along those lines. You can find out more about that project there. And other than that, you can, you can follow me on Instagram at official TK Coleman uh, or Twitter at TK underscore Coleman. I couldn't get the same name for both because somebody has it for each one. So <laughs> Yeah. I, I hear you. <laughs> I'm always the second person to get my full name. So I, I get yeah. it. And I'm going to make sure that I include all those links in our show notes. So thank you so much again, TK. I'm so grateful for your time today. And I'm sure our listeners are just going to love this conversation. So again, thanks so much. And hopefully I can connect with you live one day in Los Angeles. Yeah. Let us know when you're, uh, when you're in Los Angeles. Uh, we got to have you come over to the studio. Yeah, I would love yeah. that. I actually yeah. lived in LA for a year in 2010. So I've been there. I I, I go back maybe once or twice yeah. a year. My sister lived there for a bit. So I'm very familiar with it. And uh, yeah, it would be really nice to connect with you, you, you all live. Lauren and I have been running this podcast for four and a half years, and it's been our mission yeah. <laughs> to interview The Minimalist. And then when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, that's <laughs> so awesome. thank you so much. Yeah, that's awesome. When you were in LA, was that the modeling stuff? Yeah. So I was in Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Los Angeles. Uh, such an incredible experience to see the world. And it's interesting because I'm not a big drinker. And so in experiences where you'd be in with a group of people at a restaurant, 
what I would do is I'd put the, I'd put the alcohol down and I have conversations with people. And I so and in that, in those experiences, I was like, wow, like I love these stories I'm hearing. And, and that's why I became passionate about storytelling and passionate yeah. about helping people who were like, oh, I can't do this. Feel like, no, you can. No, trust me, you can. You may fail. I failed. But doing it, pursuing it is going to be much more worth it than not. Right. So you're going to have regrets. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We got to have you in the studio because I, I, I'm, I'm sure you have uh, a ton of stories, too, that that we can learn from. And we'll have to get into that sometime. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thanks so much again. And uh, I'm sure you'll hear from me soon via email. (laughs) All right, Kelly, I appreciate it. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for your extra time. Bye. Absolutely. Cheers. Thank you for listening. I hope you found great value and motivation in TK's words today. If you have a dream that you've been thinking about for a while, I'm hopeful that our discussion has left you feeling inspired to start taking the steps to achieving it. Or perhaps you're in the midst of pursuing a dream and you've been going through the motions and feel calm by the idea that friction is a necessary part of the process. The biggest takeaway that I took from this discussion is the idea that the greatest reward we gain in the pursuit of a dream is the better version of ourselves that we become. The idea that on the other side of our fears is a better version of us. And if you enjoyed TK's philosophies and would like to learn more about him and his works and watch his talks that we mentioned, please check out the links in our show notes. And if you love this discussion, please write to us by sending us a DM on Instagram and Facebook or by sharing this episode in a story. And lastly, as always, I want to thank those of you who have written us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We just had a couple new ones pop up and we want to say thank you so, so much. Again, we love reading your words and your kind ratings and reviews help us bring on more exciting guests like TK. So thanks again for listening and we will speak with you soon. Bye-bye.